0: All right, hello, climate change. Waking up and taking action, one conversation at a time. I think this is my eighteenth conversation. I'm going for a hundred. Have I told you this is Jim? I'm talking to my husband.
1: Yes, you have told me.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm hesitating because I'm just going to say it. I hope you don't mind. I I I sense your gr- increasing reluctance to be part of this.
1: Well. Out of eighteen, what am I, like five or six of them?
0: I don't know if it's that much. <laughs> Maybe four or five. <laughs>
1: uh.
0: You want to say anything about your increasing reluctance to be <laughs> You don't have to. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I mean I'll i I'll say what you say, what you've said the last couple of times we've done this, which is basically I'm not sure that I have anything new to say. And um and uh frankly, um That doesn't matter to me (laughs) because I do. And, you know, what I say, you'll have responses to. So,
1: yes, I usually do.
0: Yes. And I appreciate your point of view. Um, And and because, you know, I'm basically doing this because I mean, I'm hoping it'll be useful to others. But I'm the the number one core reason is for myself. It's to it's to try to evolve myself in something that I'm struggling with, which is, you know, just coming to terms with not just climate change, but the feelings I've had about environmental degradation all my life. And as a kid, I've said this before on previous episodes, as a kid, I felt really sad and bad about what I understood was going on. And as a teenager, I felt really sad and bad, you know, when I was in college, when I was hearing about how much of the Uh, rainforest was getting cut down each year just you know it feels crazy it feels crazy to be living in a world where you know things like that are happening and we know that um, how important that that body of of nature is to our own healthy survival on the earth not to mention all the other creatures and the whole system you know and that you know in the context of all the other crazy things that are happening in the world wars and famines and people who are super rich and people who can't, you know, are dying because they don't have the resources to sustain their lives, whether it be medical or food or whatever. So all of that I've felt bad about. And I think the thing that I'm mostly grappling with here is um, changing my perspective about what my power is instead of feeling bad and then saying it's 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 too big it's too impossible better not to think about it i'm actually trying to stop myself from looking away and think and instead think about it and see where that takes me and so maybe reluctantly i'm taking you along with me on some level but i know you think about these things and i know you don't want to look away so Hmm. so any thoughts about what i just said Oh, I have lots
1: of thoughts. Okay, about well, lots of stuff.
0: All right. Wow. Do you want to share any of them?
1: <laughs> well, as you were talking, you know. So I think it's it's easy to think that the world we experience right now um, is the way that it is, or somehow is um, the problems that we see are bad or worse or certain things are getting worse like for example when you when you talk about income inequality and differences in the in, in the levels of power that people have based on their income it's easy to start to feel really defeated by that
2: mm-hmm.
1: but then like reports have come out recently that I've seen where there are actually, in, in spite of the fact that a lot of people live in very desperate poverty, mm-hmm. there are, as a percentage, fewer people in in really desperate poverty today than there ever have been.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when I when I think about, well, we have to just like completely throw out the current economic system and we have to remake it. And, you know, it's like, I'm not saying that everything is hunky dory, Mm -hmm. but there are certain things that are working and are creating situations where people are living in, at least materially in a higher quality of life than they have been ever. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So that, you know, that's always makes me stop and think like, well, maybe, maybe I don't know all that I think I know about how the world is actually working, you know? Uh,
0: we'll say more about that. What do you mean, you don't know?
1: Well, like for the longest time, I thought of like globalization as just this big economic ripoff of the rich nations, of the poor nations, mm-hmm. and of the wealthy people, of the, uh, you know, ripping off the poorer people, and the corporations taking advantage of everybody. And there are nuggets of truth in all of those statements, but the reality has been that a lot of people in in less prosperous countries have done better because of this economic system that we have in spite of all of its warts its obvious warts and in spite of all the ways that it could be more just it has somehow delivered a standard of living that that has never been attained by most of the people on the earth
0: hmm. um, in terms
1: of just like material mm-hmm. stuff
0: so can you I'm I'm not trying to challenge you but uh-huh. do you have examples or sources for I mean that's really I I don't doubt that but I I would love to be able to illustrate Well
1: I I mean saying. I didn't come with notes I would know Yeah no I don't to, either, I, that's okay. You know I'd be happy to to do some research and you could put some links I suppose. Yeah okay. Um but these are relatively recent reports that I've read.
0: Yeah yeah no yeah um I would love to know where you read it. Like, yeah. I would like to read that. Uh-huh. Um, so that's a perfect reminder for me to just say, I always try to say this at some point in the podcast. The, there is a website for this podcast. It's hellocc.info. Uh, um, and um, I always try to put at least one useful link in the show notes, which you can find on that website or on iTunes or in Stitcher. The show notes are the same everywhere. Um, so that would be perfect. but. Mm-hmm. Let, email me when you find a link <laughs> right.
1: well i mean even even if you just take into consideration China, yeah and all of the wealth that has come to that country mm-hmm. and and how populous that country is, mm-hmm. I mean that in and of itself would have right. a huge impact on those kinds of numbers
0: right right okay. well, I mean, I think that the 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 direction you're going in that you know just basically looking at what's going well is kind of part of what I've been going, the direction I've been going in, in thinking about climate change mm-hmm. is because it, it, you have to notice gains. You have to look for hope <laughs> because, you know, you're going to beat yourself against mm-hmm. a wall of despair and die crying <laughs> if you don't. And, um, and there are things to be hopeful about. I mean, I do think a lot more, people are aware that this is a serious issue and that it's you know that it you know i think in general there's an a aggro- there's a growing awareness towards the idea that if one person's suffering you know is is directly tied to your own Happiness or lack thereof, or security. Mm. I mean, if we if we live in a world that tolerates a certain level of suffering for people, it may, means it's something you have to fear for yourself, even if it's that simple. But I don't think it is that simple. Um, I really enjoyed talking to Angie Seth, who's the our friend who's a climate scientist. And you haven't gotten a chance to hear the conversation we had recently, but it was my last. My last episode. And, um, and she, she talks about, she's talking about Hans Rosling, who's the guy who's, you've talked about his TED Talks with me. He's the one who does all the demographics and hmm. these, these all animated sort of infographics and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's another thing I, I will have linked for the last, uh, I did link for the last episode. Anyway, he says to the question, are you an optimist or a pessimist? He said, I'm a possibilist. I look at what's possible and i think that that's angie's approach to thinking about climate change is that here's here's the range of what the other the climate scientists are saying the that the climate models are saying and here's you know the the best estimates about what needs to happen so that we don't have disastrous effects and then when you look at those numbers she i think she said something like i don't know if it was 80 to a hundred or a hundred percent, I think she she put it as a hundred percent conversion to re- sustainable energy by two thousand fifty is is the goal that we need to be aiming for now mm-hmm. and um, and then you look at things like I heard uh, what's his name from 350 dot org uh hand not hanson that's the McKibben? scientist bill yes bill mckibben saying the other day that the cost of um solar panels has come down 80 percent, and i think over the last six years and then i also heard something like i think it's the state of iowa it could be idaho i think it's iowa though now has 30 percent of its energy needs met by wind um mm. yeah and that's a very i think flat state right angie was state. saying that there's enough sun that hits texas that could you know there's enough room in texas to put solar panels that would power the whole country so like the the amount of solar energy in other words that's available on the planet mm-hmm. is so so much bigger than our needs and when you start to look at and and also i think she, the thing about i think it was iowa again um is something like there's you know 4000 jobs that have been created by this um and um so anyway all of that goes to say like this is it just reinforces something that i guess i've known all along which is that making these kind of changes is actually good for not only addressing this issue but it's good for a lot of people mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's good for i mean when we go on bike rides now and a car gets in front of us and there's exhaust fumes i mean i last year it never would have occurred to me to think oh i wish it was 30 years from now when every almost everyone probably will be driving an electric car if they're even having their own car you know and we won't have to breathe these fumes
1: and even better you'd, it'd be a self-driving car and you wouldn't have to worry so much about it running into you right <laughs>
0: this <laughs> distracted driver. exactly <laughs> so you said at the beginning you had a lot of thoughts and that was one of them was there something else well
1: we had prior to starting to to record we had talked a little bit about um oil companies and mm. the whole, um,
0: the villainiz- villainization bil- of, yeah. well, yeah. And I guess yeah. you could say
1: it's villainization and they certainly have a lot of re- I mean, there are a lot of reasons to think of them as villains, mm-hmm. but I also am aware that, that they're a corporation, they're in business to make money for their shareholders mm-hmm. and they're going to respond to the incentives of the market. And I think what's really more corrupt or more villainous is a political process that has allowed them to, me- to manipulate public policy mm-hmm. in such a dramatic way. I mean, we could have a public policy that would very clearly favor renewable sources of energy. Mm-hmm. You know, we could subsidize it. We could right. allow all kinds of tax breaks. We could set limits on, you know, carbon emissions, we could do all kinds of things. Yeah. And a company like Shell, I mean, they would probably drop the Shell oil part of it and they would just become Shell energy right? and they would go into the solar business, yeah. you know, they yeah. would transition. Yeah. And, you know, like we said before, it's, it's not likely that we're going to be completely um, done with oil for mm-hmm. a while. I mean the truth is it's a substance that allowed our modern economy to develop. You know, it's yeah. it's a pretty amazing resource right. when when you really look at it as just a substance. Right. Like it's pretty it's pretty cool. <laughs> the the way that it lubricates machinery that's allowed us to, you know, build some amazing structures and create machines that mm-hmm. you know, make manufacturing uh, unbelievably efficient. And, you know, of course, there's cars, mm-hmm. but you know the substance in and of itself is not bad. There's nothing bad about oil. Mm-hmm. It's how reliant we've been on it as our primary source as a and to, to burn it. I to mean, there's it. other uses and of it and to burn it, right? right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the way I look at it is, Shell would just become a different kind of company yeah. if the incentives were there for it to do it. Right. You know, it's not going to lose money, but. You know, they're they're. What do you mean? It's not going to lose money. I mean, they're they're. If they're a good company, they're not going to continue to do something that's losing money. They're oh. going to transition into something mm-hmm. that clearly is more mm-hmm. is more beneficial. Right. You know, and they're like they're caught up in the same kind of fear that a lot of us are of changing what we're doing, mm-hmm. like in an inability to really see a different vision for the future.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's been going on for me recently that I wanted to mm-hmm. talk to you about, and I, I'm aware that I'm changing the subject, so I'm going to back off for a second, and see if there's more to say about what you just said. No. Well, okay, but there is. I mean, there's the fact that we subsidize oil. That's that. That's. I mean, just to illustrate the point you're making, mm-hmm. that that it's a subsidized industry, um, and so it, you know, it it. Um, Artificially gives the impression that buying gas or oil is cheaper than it is, in terms of the expense of production of that fuel source. And then there's also the idea of how much, like manpower, as sort similar in the sense of like horsepower, but we'll say manpower because we're we're the ones that were being spared the actual physical labor. Like if you think about how much a gas, a a gallon of gasoline how much weight that can move over what, you know, what distance. Uh, If we had to do that by hand, what would we be up against? Or if we had to do that by animal this time, I I really thought it was really enlightening to, to hear this. um, I cannot think of his name, but, but um, we've talked about it. I've talked about it several times with Randy when he's come and talked with me on this podcast and he's really interested in these transition towns and the Mm -hmm. guy who started the movement in England Rob Hopkins that's his name. He talks about you know the the length of time that that there's been humans uh, on the earth and then how much a very very s- small blip of it we've had fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And so we've had steam engines run on coal and we've had oil and gas and um and um And how just you know our how, how, the way our lifestyle has changed because of that resource, and that that it 's a finite resource, and that we have to look at what comes on the other side of it and I mean, this is maybe one of those areas where you and I differ, which is the vision of what excites us about what that future would look like, and I think that 's probably the case around the world, that people have different visions of what excites them about a post fossil fuel world um, Like, I think I probably am more excited by the idea of having to get places on foot instead of having a vehicle. And some people are more excited by, you know, getting a solar-powered car or something like that. And, you know, I just, I don't like getting in a car. I like, I don't like having to sit still and feel trapped in a box in a house. So, so that's just me. But anyway, so that's probably where where some of the, the tension comes is that when people think about change, they know that everybody has a different vision of what kind of change is good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's some, I think that even with that fear in the picture, we could kind of get past it enough to see some basic, obvious common ground, which is, you know, like everyone having um, security in terms of a a safe, secure place to live and, and medical care and food and water and social interactions and productive, important, you know, meaningful work. That seems like a bottom line, and but whether or not we get to go to Hawaii on a vacation or something is another thing altogether. All <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so what I was going to say before, the thing that's been coming up for me lately, and by the way, we're both getting over colds. If you can hear it in our voices that you, you're hearing you it, you more yes. so than me. Me, well, you, me, more recently than you. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. Yeah, I've been noticing lately because when I. St- when I kind of got started with this, I I feel like I stumbled into consciousness about this, um, and that's why I talk about it like waking up and, and like I feel like a, you know there was like a loud noise and it woke me up type of thing. And suddenly I was really it was in my face thinking about this topic. Um, I think lately I've been feeling the temptation to go back to sleep, and that's been interesting to to watch and to try to navigate. Um, And I I don't have the answers about it yet. But I feel like I want to be transparent about it, because I think it's probably more common than gets heard about, you know, when you try to take on a big thing, and now you're yawning. (laughs) No, it's just funny, because I'm talking about sleep. Um, You're illustrating it. (laughs) So one thing that I just realized recently was that in this period of time of the temptation to go back to sleep, um, I've been kind of fighting it. And the fight kind of looks like me yelling at myself internally that I need to get past whatever blocks I have about picketing and going to meetings and protesting and getting arrested and dropping my personal ambitions and projects in order to make my life all about saving people in the world and you know like this overwhelming kind of like if damn it i have to i have to be I, with my shoulder to the grindstone or that's the mixing metaphors i don't know what i'm trying to say it how you know what i mean though um and uh and then there's sort of a re- rebellion coming back internally which is wait a minute why what why am i doing why do i want all this so that i can feel better about my world and enjoy my life better and and have closer relationships and feel good about the the legacy that we're leaving for the world but is it is it a choice do i need to sacrifice myself to this in, in this huge way and it becomes this like internal like crazy thing that i don't I don't know how to push past those things i don't want to give up more of my limited you know i've said this before my limited free time and then contradicting myself like i'm i have more free time than others as i go through the same sort of cycle of thought and just in the last few days i think i had sort of a meltdown and like cried about everything and and I always think that's the best thing. It's like a storm, it clears the air, and suddenly you can see further into the horizon and you can see clearer. And the thing that shifted for me was that I didn't have to focus so hard on out there because there are still plenty of things to do right here. Like, for instance, I've talked about wanting to, we have some mutual funds that we, you know, you had some of them before I married you and some of them I had, and and we've kind of just let them be there and we've never really looked closely at at what they're actually invested in which feels a little overwhelming cuz a mutual fund is such a collection of different investments but but it's made sense to me that we should divest from being a stakeholder in fossil fuel industry and um and so it just kind of got clear to me like okay that's the next thing for me to work on um So my next move will be to look at the 350.org website because I know that that organization has really spearheaded this divestment movement, though it's, you know, you hear more about institutions divesting um, than individuals. That's certainly part of it. And so I'm going to take that on and I will definitely report um, about it. How do you feel about it since you're actually my financial partner in life? Mm.
1: Well, I don't. Yeah, I. You know, the, the mutual funds that we have money in are, are funds. I mean, none of them are specialized to just buy mm-hmm. in the petroleum industry.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> you know, so there's a mix of all different kind. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if some of them are in the fossil fuel industry in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I,
0: I think it – well – this comes back to your Shell Energy company. Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if if Shell if Shell Energy was the company we were buying in, and they and they had a small portion where they still drilled for oil, but they started transitioning into mm-hmm. more and more renewable, you know, sources. Would would that feel different? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably, if you knew that that there are energy companies out there that are actively trying to transition, Mm -hmm. I mean, that would feel pretty good to invest in a company like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I do think the reality is that we're going to have oil as part of our mix for a while yet. Yeah. That, that you can't just flip the switch and all of a sudden no more oil. Right. So, you know, to say that those companies are bad and we shouldn't invest in them again, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's easy to say I'm done with oil companies as you know and, and paint them all with a broad brush, mm-hmm. but my guess is that there's probably a mix in the way that they're conducting themselves, and to do it properly, to really divest, I think you'd want to make sure that you're pulling your money out of those that are putting up the roadblocks mm. that are really trying to sabotage, you know, legislation and. Um, International agreements and things like that. Hmm. Um, I think there there probably are some power companies that are much more progressive than others,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and we should support those. Right. So I don't I don't think it's quite as black and white as you know just pull all your money out of any company that produces energy. Mm -hmm. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but at this point. I think you're right that the, the way the legislation is, um, what you're saying earlier, is that oil companies are – because there isn't – it's sort of like not having a strict enough parent. They're, 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 they're biggest – they're most beholden to their um, investors and not, there's not, not enough stricture on them, so they're just going to keep going where the money is. Right. Um, and they, And they're legally obliged to do so. Yes, they are um right. and but, i'm i mean it would take a, a a bold leadership to to make a case which i'm not i'm saying a case could be made that that's not the right approach for their tax or uh, for their investors but but that would be a a, a battle yeah
1: and, that would be a pretty create that would be a ceo or or a a management team that would be willing to lose their jobs right because they they and believe they it's the right thing.
0: They would they would probably lose their yeah, jobs. Yeah, in the short so term, that, that's yeah, in the short term would
1: they, they would have to take a hit. Right.
0: Yeah. So, um
1: So anyway, I mean yeah. to come back to the idea of divesting, yeah. I'm I'm not opposed to it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but again, I think it's to do it properly and to to do it in a way that actually does reward companies that are trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. I think is is a little more nuanced.
0: Yeah. So I mean that's I've been wanting to do this for a long time, but I I'm not in the financial world and I feel overwhelmed by it and like I don't even know where to begin in terms yeah. of research. Um but that has been the place where I've stopped. Is like, well I don't know where to begin, so I don't begin. I mean, not knowing where to begin is, is kind of a tough mental space to defend when you have Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you know, for right. instance, there's an organization out there that's that's like their primary platform in terms of what they're saying that we should be doing. Yeah. And we know the name of that organization right. and the name of the leader of that organization. Well, so It would
1: be really good information to hear from 350.org. Yeah. Who do they think is doing the right thing in terms right. of the energy sector? So I'm going to look it up on yeah. their website. Yeah, I think that would Try be to really that helpful. Out.
0: I will make sure to report back to you on my very next yeah. episode about that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and to you, my husband, as soon as I find out. Cool. <laughs> so also on the front of what can I do he- like close to home, sort of the things that feel like they're within reach for me. like I think that's something I need to keep reminding myself of is that the issues that I'm having feeling like I'm doing enough are the issues I have in all of my life feeling like I'm doing enough. Mm. And whatever, I think it's probably universal that where any, wherever you are on this topic and wherever you see yourself being stalled on this topic, if you even see yourself that way, it's, it's going to be familiar. You're going to see that as the way you get stuck in other places in your life. So taking it on here is in a way like a not personal way or not as loaded way, maybe personally to take on the challenges that make your life smaller than it could be Mm. in general. Mm -hmm. So, um, so for me, so use myself as an example for me. Uh, yeah, I think I've carried around a feeling of pressure that I've had since I was a kid and was considered gifted and was, you know, my parents and people around me expected big things from me. Um, And, you know, I still feel like I carry around that pressure that I'm not fulfilling that. Um, And so when I approach this topic of climate change, I make a podcast, (laughs) which is, I think, perfectly fine um and and hopefully useful for others besides me, but certainly just useful for me is fine enough but um but it can blind me to the importance of hey, we still need to make that call to the guy who is going to help us to insulate our attic, <laughs> which would reduce our footprint, which, as people in the United States, is perfectly um, not only reasonable but and appropriate but honorable and important place to be putting our attention, because we're using so much more than our share of the global um, energy. Um, So, um, so yeah, so making that phone call is as heroic as any, you know, standing on the sidewalk um, outside of a I don't know, out of outside of the UN in Paris or whatever it could be. Hmm. Um, which by the way, if you're not aware of and you're looking for something to feel big and heroic about, is that that the um that there's going to be a big conference in Paris, um starting at the end of November, which um climate um Activists are saying is really our last chance, and the, and so are so are climate scientists saying this is our last good chance to actually affect global policy, so that we change the course that we're headed right now, and move towards more sustainable um, energy practices, um, <clears throat> and because this is basically the conference of the nations about climate change. Um, and it's happening in Paris, and so you know whoever. I'm not really like my. Like when I talked to Angie last time, she was saying you know call your 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 lawmaker, whatever she, you know your your representatives, and let them know this is important to you. I'm not really sure who. I mean, well, that's that's, that's confusing to me. Yeah.
1: Well, this is one part that that gets frustrating for me yeah. personally, living here in Connecticut,
0: right? Because we have they're on our side already. <laughs> Yeah. Every literally yeah. every
1: single hmm. office holder at the federal and the state level mm-hmm. in Connecticut yeah. is is, on board. is is on the right side right. of this issue. Right. So when you talk about, you know, contact your legislator, there's no point. It, well, not I really. Mean, yeah. Not not for us. Right. I mean, would it matter if we could contact legislators in Mississippi mm-hmm. and Alabama mm-hmm. and West Virginia? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think they listen to us the same way that they do people right. coming from their own state. So um, yeah, that part of it is is hard. Right. That's a hard reality of our political system here in the yeah. U S.
0: So here's the thing that that brings to mind. And that is one of the places that I see as being the front lines of this issue is personal relationships. You know, like, um, i mean on a on a level that this is sort of peripheral um right, right now because it's it there really wasn't going to be something i was going to do to try to change it but you know my my we went to my brother's wedding in california and i had feelings about you know flying across the country for a wedding and that and not, not not that i would never ever have not gone to my brother's wedding um you know and the fact that my father lives in florida and and to visit him i have to to travel a long distance just the fact that are, are the people who are most important to us can be so spread out is, is a product of this age of fossil fuels. I mean, the, uh, the ease of travel, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, now we've sort of set up our, our relationship infrastructure in a dependent way. That the people that are closest to us are not the people who are living next door to us. You know, and how wonderful it would be, by the way, as an aside, if the people we cared about most are the ones that were living next door to us. And you know, there's a case to be made for for investing in those relationships and, and that's that can be a topic of another day yeah. and but I and I wholly support it. Um but in the meantime, you know, in our generation, because we're really not gonna get people are not gonna rearrange themselves physically around the planet to address this in, in a way that feels more sustainable but we have to na- navigate those relationships and we have to um, make decisions about how we um, use our carbon <laughs> and I, and I want to say our allotment of carbon but there's no allotment there's no limit to each what each person gets um, but but that's another thing that's similar to what you know, on a bigger scale, what the corporations are against up against, um, in regard to their relationship with their shareholders, we're up against in our relationship with our loved ones. And, um, and it just feels like you don't want to make anyone feel bad. And, um, and I just, I guess I want to frame this as an opportunity to deepen our relationships. So, so, so yeah, we can't call our, representatives and have it make a major difference. But we can call an old friend in another state and reconnect. And it doesn't mean that we're lobbying them, we can find out what's going on in their lives. And it may be something we just bring up, hey, I just wanted to, I mean, you know, I don't know how you feel about this topic, but there's this thing coming up. And, and, um, you know, you you could, you could actually become a lobbyist in a different sense. Mm. And wouldn't that be great to reconnect with, you know, to, to, to use that phone call on an old friend, you know, that you've rather than call a stranger, that's not going to really make any difference. Anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, so that's why I'd like to think of that, too, as the front lines, not just um, out there where the, the media is. There's plenty of smaller, more sort of personal level kind of ways that we can mm-hmm. be making change.
1: Yeah. The more people on an individual level so see import- this as something important, yeah. the so, more likely it is to change.
0: So here's the real question. Do you have any friends in Alabama, Mississippi, <laughs> of those states that you mentioned?
1: Unfortunately, I don't.
0: I don't either. I have friends in Tennessee, but and Tennessee's a, a Republican state, isn't it? Yeah. But they're probably already on board but i could get them to call theirs i could get sent drop them a mm-hmm. line so um thank you thank you for indulging me for having another conversation you're welcome did you think it was worthwhile
1: well it was it was helpful for me oh. i don't know if anybody else well how, but, how so well just you know when when you start talking sometimes it helps you understand where your own mind is going hmm. sometimes it things come out that maybe make more sense when you speak them than when you're thinking them or I don't know, it just somehow helps the to them together.
0: Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, um and that's actually like the aim for this for me. I mean, one I didn't ever say this, I don't know why I haven't said this, but besides it being good for me, my real, real, maybe my secretly held um, kind of secret hope, I should say that I, that I, I felt somehow shy about um, for this podcast is that it would create a f- uh, space for conversations that that are helpful to the person i 'm talking to and just giving people an opportunity to articulate their thinking mm-hmm. um, which could help uh advance their thinking whatever in whatever direction so thank you for that for giving me that opportunity and that feeling of success
1: well thank you. <laughs>
0: Um, And thanks for listening. And if you have any ideas for what you'd like to hear on this podcast, I'd I'd certainly love to hear from you. So if you go to hellocc.info, you can find a way to contact me. Have a nice week. Bye. Thanks, Jim. You're welcome.